So we're uh, we're not going to continue this uh, Sunday evening in our lessons in Christology. It's sort of going to be an offshoot lesson. As you as if, if you have been here, uh, we've been talking about the ascension of Christ, specifically how it relates to. Um, the threefold office of Christ, him being prophet, priest, and king. And last time we were together, we considered the, um, the ascension of Christ. Um, and when Christ ascends to the right hand of the Father, um, what he's doing now, seated at the right hand of the Father, is he extends his prophetic office to the church. And he really fulfills um, his prophetic office in and through the church. So you heard many things last Sunday evening uh, that Christ through the church um, is continuing his his office of being a prophet, his office of being a prophet, mind you, um, not our office, his office. And then also too, um, um, uh, we we ourselves get the privilege to participate in that great office. But first and foremost, it is Christ's. Now, um, there was much debate within myself, and then I talked to Pastor Antonio about doing this lesson, and I felt it might be wise to do it, and that is this evening, we're going to look at, quite frankly, one of the things in uh, the church, and the church, this church present age that we are living in, one of the things that just needs to go. It really does. Um, I mean, there's, because uh, when, you, when you have this element um, uh, in your theology, uh, then everything else comes with it. Okay, uh, then you can expect to have uh, the songs that are real superficial, the, the songs uh, that people sing rather during a a, um, a worship service. Um, the songs are really superficial. The songs are meant to get you into a sort of like you know emotional um, um, trance or whatever you want to call it, um, and um, the, the preaching itself um, lacks really substance. Uh, the, the minister does not preach primarily Christ crucified, um, but uh, the things that uh, that you can do in order for you to be uh, uh, better, as far as you know, in your business, friendships, marriages, whatever. Um, so this element of of one's theology, and tonight we're going to this evening we're going to talk about um, the gift of prophecy, uh, specifically whether or not. Um, not whether or not, but how how do we discern whether or not someone's a true prophet or not? Okay, um, one of the things that was really hard for me as I began to study this issue is um, I found that uh, there is there is much more to this issue than just meets the eye. It's very very deep, very rich. Um, and there's many arguments, but also the arguments um, are 20% theological and biblical, and the rest are subjective. And that's very hard when you're trying to do um, what I'm doing this evening is going to be sort of a, a, a polemical type of lesson, uh, 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 looking at the arguments and um, considering what's being said, because... Uh, how do you tell someone um, that that didn't actually happen, right? Uh, subjective arguments. Someone says, no, I know that prophecy still exists because God spoke to me. Um, that's a very hard thing to try to argue with. And, uh, I mean, that's one of the things that uh, I have the hardest time if I'm ever encountering uh, a Mormon, 
Because a Mormon, most of their arguments are going to be subjective. I had this experience. Um, well, like I said, if someone believes that uh, the gift of prophecy is still active in the church, um, that God is still giving out new revelation, then likewise, uh, you're going to have all the other craziness along with it. You're going to have the speaking in tongues. Uh, you're going to have you yourself, through God, have the power to perform miracles. Um, you're going to have the crazy singing. Uh, you're going to have the crazy preaching. You're going to have all these other things. Um, and quite frankly, um, it's it's this 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 element, so this area of of uh, theology known as you know word of faith charismatic uh, theology um, has really been the, the thorn, um, the new thorn in the side of the church. I mean, when you think about church history, uh, the things that we would argue over was whether or not, and we still are, mind you, um, whether or not the eternal son um, is really eternal, whether or not the eternal son is truly God. Um, and now, coming, and, and really starting in the 19th century, uh, we're arguing whether someone has the gift of prophecy or not, uh, and whether the Bible is still open, whether God is still giving out revelation. There are many of you, I'm sure, that know people that are in this movement. There are many of you who used to be in this movement, who are coming out of this movement. Um, so it's, I think, appropriate for us to consider um, uh, the gift of prophecy. Now, let's be clear that we're not talking about preaching when I say prophecy. And, you know, this is um, a debated issue amongst Reformed people, whether or not we can call preaching prophecy. Um, I think, though, uh, you can, if you read Calvin's commentary in 1 Corinthians, um, he makes a wonderful case um, about uh, calling preaching um, prophecy. Um, not, that, um, not that we are foretelling the future, but we are forthtelling, right? We are declaring the, the truths of God, and sometimes ministers uh, can can speak and apply the text to someone, and and uh, it just so happens that that application of the text applies to that person's present situation. Um, many times that's happened, not only uh, to myself when I when I've been preaching, but also when Pastor Antonio or uh, I've heard others preach. Um, so we're not talking about preaching, okay? There's a distinction here. Rather, when I say prophecy, we are specifically talking about the reception of new revelation from God, which is articulated by a human prophet, okay? So when I talk about prophecy, I'm talking about getting new revelation from God. New revelation from God, okay? This is what many Christians believe is still happening today, um, I'm not going to judge you, but there are probably some people in here that may believe that. That may believe that God is still giving new revelation. Just as the biblical prophets like Moses and, Eliza, and uh, Isaiah received new revelation from God, which then they reported to the people by speaking the truth, declaring it, writing down, many Christians today claim that they receive revelation from God. Many Christians claim um, I forgot the number, but I think there's over 66 million uh, Pentecostal charismatic 
Christians or something like that. Something ridiculous. I believe that they're still receiving in some way uh, new revelation from God. Now, let's remember the word prophet means to speak in the place of or be a spokesman. So a prophet, by definition, speaks on the behalf of someone else. Well, who's that someone else? It's God. So anyone that proclaims that they're a prophet, they themselves are speaking on the behalf of God. Okay. Now, this is an important point um, because all of these claims, saints, um, that prophets make, they're ultimately saying, God is the one who gave me this. God is the one who gave me this revelation. Okay, And they're very sneaky with what they want to do. Um, and how they decipher which revelation is true or not. <clears throat> whether uh, For our, our lesson today, we want to examine whether or not God is sealing out new revelation to a person. Specifically, and we want to narrow this down to when a person claims to have received newer revelation from God, we have to ask what criteria can we use to discern whether or not they're speaking for God. Okay. So when I was doing this lesson, one of the things that was hardest for me, and yes, Anthony, we would have been here for three hours if I would have kept the original notes because I had so much stuff, meaning I had what they would say concerning certain passages and how I feel um, and what theologians throughout the church have felt um, is the best way to interpret that passage uh, and things like that. Um, so I figured... I figured I, if you want those notes, I can send them to you through email. That's fine. Uh, but I want to narrow it down to how can we, when we are watching uh, whatever show we are watching that's Christian or when, whether, whether someone uh, gives to us uh, a book or whether someone tells us, hey, listen to this sermon, how can we discern, how can we judge whether or not that person is a true prophet or not? Okay, so just really just giving you the tools of how to do such. How do we recognize a false prophet? The Bible articulates three criteria for identifying a false prophet. Number one, <clears throat> three tests, rather, three tests. The first test, doctrinal orthodoxy. Doctrinal orthodoxy. The second test, moral integrity. And the third test, predictive accuracy. Um, it's the last one that really gets people, self-proclaimed prophets, really in the mess, right? Um, and that's where they start to try to wiggle their, their, their way out of this one. Doctrinal orthodoxy, the first test. Moral integrity and predictive accuracy. That's how, that's how we can test whether or not someone's a true or false prophet. The first test, doctrinal orthodoxy. God's true prophets proclaim doctrines that are right and true. Simple point. God's true prophets proclaim doctrines. When I say doctrines, I mean teachings. So doctrine of sin would be a teaching about the ins and outs of sin. Doctrine of man would be the ins and outs of man and his constitution, Christology, all those things, right? Right and true. And if one does claim to receive new revelation from God, this is a big point, then it must be consistent with previous revealed truth. Okay? This is very, very important. If one claims to receive new revelation from God, that revelation must be consistent with this revelation. It cannot contradict what God has said in his word. So a true prophet must be biblically orthodox. Orthodox meaning those teachings and doctrines that the church has held on to, and the church has held on to those teachings and doctrines because that's what the Bible teaches. 
So uniformly, the church believes that there is one God in three persons, the doctrine of Trinity. The the church believes um, that Jesus Christ is truly God and truly man. So things like that. Any self-proclaimed prophet who deceives people by leading them into theological error is a false prophet. So any self-proclaimed prophet who deceives people by leading them into theological error is a false prophet. Leading them to believe that Jesus Christ wasn't truly man. Leading them to believe that there isn't really an eternal hell. Leading them to believe in uh, uh, various things that the church has believed. Um, this is what the Bible clearly teaches. Deuteronomy chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams uh, rises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and that sign or wonder comes true concerning which he spoke to you, saying, let us go after other gods, let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or a dreamer of dreams. For your Lord, for the Lord your God, uh, is testing you to find out if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your uh, mind, with all your soul. Um, here we see saints. Uh, Moses is saying, if, if a prophet rises among you, and even if he does spectacular things, that's a big one. Even if he does things that make you say, wow, that's really, really cool. <laughs> that's really awesome. Even if that prophet does things um, um, uh, that might even be true, says things that might even be true, if that prophet leads you away from biblically or biblical orthodox teaching into error or or heresy, uh, that is a false prophet. So let's say that this prophet claims to be a prophet, foretells something that comes out to be true, but is theology is really bad, he's a false prophet. It doesn't matter. In the New Testament, oh, and also too, you'll see um, the, the, uh, the, the seriousness in which God takes us. I didn't even read the, less, the, the rest of it. Um, the, Lord sa- uh, the Lord says, you shall follow the Lord your God and fear him, and you shall keep his commandments, listen to his voice, serve him and cling to him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, mind you, that one that just you know, did miraculous things, but is, has bad theology, that one shall be put to death because he has consoled rebellion against the Lord your God. So, this one, even if he is accurate in his prophecy, if he has theological error, if he's a heretic, then he should be put to death. In other words, the Lord is not playing around with his word. The Lord is not playing around with his word. In New Testament context, Peter gives a similar warning in Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1. But pro- false prophets also rose among the people, just as there will, be, uh, there will also be false teachers among you who will s- secretly introduce uh, destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Notice, friends, in this passage, Peter equates false prophets with false teachers. False prophets with false teachers. That is to say, those who teach false doctrine demonstrate themselves to be false prophets. That's why if you ever, um, uh, if you ever watch something on YouTube and you type in like false prophets, well, uh, Joe Osteen. Well, Joe Osteen has never, he's never been, he's never, uh, self-proclaimed to be a false prophet. 
He never said that I am a prophet of God. Although he thinks in the way he speaks, um, uh, it implies uh, that he's a, he, he considers himself a prophet, but he hasn't really said out that I am a prophet. Um, but we would call him a false, false prophet because he's a false teacher. This uh, statement, this criteria, friends, um, cannot be overstated. I mean, if, if there's anything that uh, is of utmost importance uh, for the church, for the, the, the building up of someone's spiritual soul, even our own spiritual soul, it, it, that is sound teaching. Uh, sound teaching. The Bible does not take sound teaching lightly. First Timothy 3.16, Paul says, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that I, so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in the glory. Paul says here that we confess, which means that this was a common confession of the day. That, that Paul here is saying, you are to confess and remember the things that we confess as a church. But those uh, uh, before me have confessed. Second Peter, or Second Timothy 1.13, Paul tells Timothy, follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. When Paul says sound words, this can be understood as wholesome teaching. So what Paul is doing is pointing Timothy not to a particular text of scripture, but to doctrine that has been taught uh, by others concerning the entirety of scripture. Sound words. Saints, the one thing that we are to be consistent in is our sound words. Are we, are we holding on to sound words? Now, time doesn't permit me to look at every false prophet and all their doctrinal positions, but let me just give you a few, because I'm sure some of you want to hear what they want to say. Kenneth Copeland, he says, now look at this. Jesus at the Garden of Gethsemane knows what's fixing to take place. The sin of the world was not laid upon him. Mind you, Kenneth Copeland is probably the worst of the worst. Um, false teacher, false prophet. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17-21 that he, uh, he who knew no sin was made sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of, of God in him. He who knew no sin was made to be sin. And hear what he says here. He did the exact same thing that Adam did in the Garden of Eden. He made himself obedient to the point of death and put himself into the hands of God's enemy, Satan. Only he did it. He committed this act not by treason but by choice. He did it in order to pay the price of Adam's treason. He put himself and made himself obedient to death. And the same thing happened to him that happened to Adam, spiritual death. Now listen, if it had only been physical death, it wouldn't have worked. So here Copeland is saying that Jesus not only died physically, but he died spiritually. Because as Adam died, right? Copeland goes on to say, how did Jesus then on the cross say, my God? So Copeland's now considering um, the cry of dereliction. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because God was not his father anymore. He took upon himself the nature of Satan. Um, Benny Hinn, apart from him saying that there are nine members of the Trinity, 
He says, he, Jesus, who is righteous by choice, said, the only way I can stop sin is by me becoming it. I can't just stop it by letting it touch me. I must become one. Hear this. He who is the nature of God became the nature of Satan when he became sin. We can also point to Joel Osteen, who said on Larry King, when Larry King asked him, can a Muslim or a Jew enter heaven? And he simply says, I don't know. I can't judge their heart. Uh, you can point to various ministers. I mean, one of the most popular ones, Stephen Furtick, uh, Elevation Church, pastors, too many people, <laughs> uh, one too many people rather, uh, says that God broke the law for love. Um, uh, says that if someone was to tell, if someone was to say, um, um, I know for, I know for certainty, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, um, then that person uh, uh, should be kicked out of the church because you don't know for certainty anything, especially when that person is making a confession of faith. <clears> T.D. <throat> Jakes, everyone's favorite, who says this in his belief statement at the church, there is one God, creator of all things, infinitely perfect and eternally existing. Very, very good. Very good. In three manifestations, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, of course, T.D. Jakes um, has sort of denied uh, modalism, and I'll explain what modalism is in a little bit. But this is on his church website. I just looked this up three days ago. It's still on there. That there is one God who manifests himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Modalism is simply a Trinitarian heresy that says that if God was one person, okay, let's just... He, uh, he puts on the father mask, takes that off, then puts on the son mask, takes that off, then puts on the spirit mask. And now he's the spirit. He's no longer father of the son. Um, as James Ozal said, very good theologian, said that if that is true, then you don't have a son seated at the right hand of the father making intercession for you. If modalism is true, if you if you lose the distinction of the persons, I'm going to stop here. If you lose the distinction of the persons, uh, then you lose the Trinity. You don't have a Trinity. OK. Um, OK. Second criteria, judging a false prophet that is moral integrity. Any self-proclaimed prophet who lives in lustful sin, greed or unrepentant sin shows himself to be a false prophet. Jeremiah 23. Also among the prophets of Jerusalem, I have seen a horrible thing, the committing of adultery and walking in falsehood. And they strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one has turned back from their wickedness. All of them have become uh, to me like Sodom and, Sodom and our inhabitants like Gomorrah. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts concerning these kinds of prophets. Behold, I'm going to feed them wormwood and make them drink poisonous water from the prophets of Jerusalem po uh, pollution has gone forth from uh, into the land. Thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who are prophesying to you, but they are leading you into fertility. They seek, uh, they speak a vision of their own imagination, which is not from the mouth of the Lord. I mean, if you can just put this on every single um, self-proclaimed prophet's website, <laughs> right? Uh, in the Old Testament here, uh, we see uh, that God is saying, do not listen to prophets who are immoral. Prophets who live a wrong, sinful life, and they're leading you to live a wrong and sinful life. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 20, Jesus says that prophets will be known by their fruits. 
In 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1-3, through 3, we read, But false prophets also appeared among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the Master who bought them, bringing, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their, their indecent behavior. And because of them, the way of the truth will be mangled. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from not long ago is not idle, and their destruction is, also, is not asleep. So here, Peter is saying that false prophets will lead you astray by their immorality, by their sinful living. So we can see that false prophets can be identified by their lifestyle, but also by the lifestyles of those under their influence. I mean, I... Um, I, I, I can't say that because I really don't know, but from a personal experience. But you see, when there's a false prophet, uh, um, if you look out in the church and you look at the men, they all look like the false prophet. They all want to dress like him. They all want to uh, drive the same car as him. <clears throat> if we wanted to, we can spend literally not this time, but also the 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 rest of the year talking about uh, various scandals, things that have been documented by these self-proclaimed prophets who have been exposed for immorality and greed. And if we wanted to, we can do the whole year of talking about how these false prophets um, are living immoral life. Not only have they been accused of, but they're guilty of. Self-proclaimed prophet Paul Cain Admitted to long-term drunkenness and homosexuality. Long-term prophet. Self-proclaimed prophet. Creflo Dollar asked his church for a $65 million jet. Um, Pastor Carl Lentz was recently fired for cheating on his wife. And Sister Ophelia told me to mention Paula White, who recently got a divorce who no longer is Paula White, but is Paula White Kane. Um, I don't know if you know this sister, but she's just been divorced three times. Um, the main point is this. Most of, if not all, self-proclaimed prophets and false teachers should be disqualified from the ministry, not merely for theological error and heresy, but on the grounds of morality. On the grounds, on moral grounds. These self-proclaimed prophets should be disqualified from the ministry for living immoral lives. The last and final criteria, and that is predictive accuracy. And this is kind of where we're going to spend not the most of our time, um, but the bulk of our time uh, compared to the other points. God's true prophet for, uh, foretell future events or reveal hidden things with bold letters, 100% accuracy. Self Proclaim prophets, or rather true prophets, God's true prophets, foretell future events or reveal hidden things with 100% accuracy. Deuteronomy 8, 18-22. When the prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, and the thing does not happen or come true, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You are not to be afraid of him. This is one of the clearest verses in all the Bible that speaks of the nature of a prophet's word. 
prophet's word must be 100% accurate. Why? Because they claim they are receiving it from the God who knows all. So if you're receiving a prophecy from a revelation from the God who knows all, and that revelation is false, then what are you saying about the God who knows all? God says if a prophet claims to speak for God but is inaccurate, then that prophet has spoken presumptuously and he can't be considered a prophet. The rest of Scripture speaks to this truth. According to Isaiah 44-26, God confirms the words of His true messengers. According to Jeremiah 28-9, the true prophet is the one whose predictions come true. According to Ezekiel 12-25, the word which God speaks will come to pass. So we see God's word is very clear on this topic. Now, when we compare the modern charismatic form of prophecy to this third biblical requirement, we see that it falls short. In fact, by their own admission, proponents of the modern gift of prophecy acknowledge that modern prophecies are often inaccurate and full of error. So even prophets, self-proclaimed prophets in our modern day and age, even they will tell you that there's prophecies that uh, that they've received that are full of error and inaccurate. Rick Joyner, who's a part of the apostolic prophetic movement, says there is a prophet named Bob Jones who was told that the general revela- general level of prophetic revelation in the church is about 65% accurate at this time. Some are only about 10% accurate. The other few of the most mature prophets are approaching 85 to 95% accuracy. Prophecy is increasing in purity, but there's still a long way to go for those who walk in the misministry. The problem is, biblically, a true prophet is not recognized based on how many predictions he gets right. Rather, false prophets are recognized by how many predictions they get wrong. <laughs> Paul Heyman who wrote, do not buy this book. Prophets and personal prophecy, guidelines for receiving, understanding, and fulfilling God's personal word for you, says this. We must not be quick to call someone a false prophet simply because something he said was inaccurate. Missing a few times in prophecy doesn't make a false prophet. No moral prophet is infallible. All are liable to mistakes. But saints, this is in clear violation of Deuteronomy 18.22. When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, all prophets say, thus say the Lord, and the thing does not come or happen or come true, that thing which the Lord has spoken, uh, uh, that thing which the Lord has not spoken, he is a false prophet. We see the modern day rise of prophecy um, in our current in our current day, uh, especially during Trump's uh, attempt to be elected again. Um, there is actually a really great story written. I think in the New York, I believe it was on the New York Times. Uh, I can send it to you if you want. Uh, but a secular writer talks about this phenomenon of the rise of self-proclaimed prophets in light of Donald Trump's attempt to be president for a second term. TV evangelist Pat Robertson predicted Trump would be reelected. He's heard it from the Lord. Paula White came call for angels to come down from Africa and South Africa to help President Trump win the 2020 election. If you were to go on YouTube, you'll find uh, many who, before Trump lost, was predicting that Trump would win. And they were doing so uh, um, in, in um, 
great detail saying how many electoral votes he would win, how many popular votes he would he would win. Um, and it's so funny. Uh, if you were to if you were to look up some of these some of these men and women, uh, if all of them, if not all of them, uh, have made a, apology videos, said that I'm sorry, I, I, I got it, wrong. <laughs> I got it wrong. Um, but there are many uh, when when Trump was attempting to be reelected again, that was saying, hoping. That Trump would be reelected again, and saying honestly, that's what a self-proclaimed prophet can only do. He can only hope. He can only wish um, that what he says comes to pass. And he can make himself look really, really cute. He can make himself look really, really good by 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 giving you reasons why he was wrong and things like that. Um, but the fact of the matter is, anyone who's a self-proclaimed prophet, according to the Bible, must have 100% accuracy. Lastly, uh, Kim Clement on TBN pretty much summed up the charismatic view of prophecy when he said, quote, you could be a wrong prophet and not be a false prophet. That is really how the modern uh, uh, day self-proclaimed prophet thinks of prophecy. You could be a wrong prophet, um, but not be a false prophet. Um and, you know, doing research for, for this lesson, um, you know, saints, if you wanted to, on YouTube, I can even send you the link. There's an 11-minute video of a woman that gives you five steps of how to be a prophet. How to hear the voice of the Lord. So these are not callings from God, but these are things that you can stir up within yourself. There's some videos out there, too. Um, I watch too many videos of this. I need to um, I need to go sit in a chair uh, have myself strapped and just watch like, you know, R.C. Sproul and like old sermons of people because my mind is everywhere um, concerning this stuff. But there are some out there um, who who talk about how to increase your predictive accuracy. How can you increase your accuracy as a prophet? <laughs> they give you five to ten ways in which you can do that. Um, okay. Lastly, you might say, okay, that's the crazy TBN word of faith, uh, uh, people, you know, the Daystar people. You know, we don't listen to them. Because there are a, a great majority of Christians who hold to solid biblical teaching and still believe that the gift of prophecy is still active. Okay? Uh, I'm naming names, I'm just gonna name names. Um, I told, actually I told one of my friends, um, uh, I said that next Sunday evening I'm preaching on, um, prophets and i threw you under the bus pastor i said uh and my and my co-elder told me to name names uh to see what they would say he, he texted me back he said paul name names uh so name names so we will we will name names uh we have been naming names but we have people like john piper you have people like sam storms and probably the most academic of the bunch wayne grudem wayne grudem who wrote a, a systematic theology uh very popular systematic theology. Wayne Grudem graduated from a reformed seminary, Westminster Seminary. Okay. Um, he's no slouch when it comes to uh, biblical teaching. He's very wrong on a lot of things. Um, and this is one of them, but he's, he's not a heretic at, at, by any stretch of the imagination. What does Wayne Grudem say? He says this, there is almost uniform testimony from all sections of the charismatic movement that prophecy is imperfect and impure and will contain elements which are not to be obeyed or trusted. By Wayne Grudem, a scholar academic who believes that the gift of prophecy is still active for today, says that 
modern day prophecy is inactive. Now, I don't have time because it's been, uh, I can send it to you, but I, I, I did write out Wayne Grudem's arguments and what they do. So you might say, okay, so how, if Wayne Grudem, who's not, you know, he's not a dumb person, and mind you, these, these ones who hold to this type of form of prophecy, they're not dumb either. Um, what does Wayne Grudem say? How does he get around modern day prophets being inaccurate and the biblical language and scriptures and warrant that prophets are to be accurate? How does he get away with that? Well, one of the things he does is he distinguishes between two types of prophets. There is Old Testament prophets and there are New Testament prophets. Ultimate, Old Testament prophets were bound under 100% accuracy. New Testament prophets, known as congregational prophets, are not bound to 100% accuracy, but rather they can have a little bit of error. And it's so interesting when Wayne Groom speaks about New Testament prophecy, it's really just spirit-led advice. I mean, he says that out of his own mouth, that, that the type of prophecy that we have now is really just spirit-led advice. Okay? Um, I can send you the notes for that if you want me to, of, of, of also, um, how, how many, uh, self-proclaimed prophets deal with various passages. I mean, we're going to have to get in 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, we're going to have to talk about Acts 2. Uh, we're going to have to talk about various things. But, uh, in conclusion, let me just give you two reasons why there's no longer prophets and also the need for no longer prophets. Why there's no longer prophets and the need. We don't need no, uh, prophets. Let me just give you two verses and then we'll, we'll be done. Ephesians chapter 20 verses 19 to 20. So then, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and you are God's household. And here's why we don't need prophets and no longer, uh, there are prophets. Having built the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. The prophets and the apostles laid the foundation. You don't relay foundation. The foundation was laid once and once for all. Jesus Christ being the cornerstone. We don't need those to be self-proclaimed prophets, to be self-proclaimed apostles, to relay down what God has laid down through men. But God has already done that. God has already done the work for us. He's already revealed for us uh, uh, the requirements for salvation and also to live a godly life through men who were inspired and received new revelation from God. Only they have. Now, um, the charismatic might say, well, in this text, apostles and prophets, the prophets here are Old Testament prophets, not New Testament prophets. So therefore, New Testament prophets are still inactive, are still in act. Uh, that's, that's totally false. That's totally false. Um, here, Paul is speaking about prophets of the New Testament along with the apostles of the New Testament as well. Old Testament prophets, New Testament prophets built the foundation for the church. If the gift of apostleship and the gift of uh, being a prophet has ended, then the gifts have ceased as well. If the office has done, been done away with, so the gifts have been done away with as well because the foundation has been laid. Lastly, Hebrews 1. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days he has spoken to us in his Son.
in these last days, the days that we are living in now, long ago, God spoke to us through uh, various men. But in his last days, he speaks to us through his incarnate son, Jesus Christ. And Christ is still speaking to us now. Now, you might say, how's he doing so? Not through the mode of new revelation, but through current and present revelation. This is this is not old revelation. If we believe what the word says, um, that the word of God is living and active, that it's sharper than a two-edged sword, then this is not old. This is not an ancient relic. This is not something that we find in a museum. But this is modern day revelation for us. Now, of course, the Bible is not going to tell you whether or not you should work at Office Max or work at Kinko's, all right, or FedEx now. You know, that's many people's dilemma. Uh, should I put uh, blue carpet or I put red carpet? Hmm, let me see. The word of the Lord, just t- tell me something. No, no, no. That's, that's, the Bible's not teaching us those things. Uh, but rather, the Bible has given to us all things we need for salvation and how to live uh, for God. So, saints, uh, let's praise God that we no longer need uh, people to give us new revelation uh, because God has given to us a sure and infallible word. Let's pray.